everybody. Welcome to Grace. Good to see y'all on Valentine's Day. So good to see your faces. So we are in week two of your kingdom come. And so last week we kicked off our series in the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. And so we're going to be diving in week after week into this prayer. We're going to be taking little phrases throughout. And so the first phrase that we covered last week was our Father in heaven. We talked about the dichotomy of how God is both near and far. He's imminent and transcendent. He's both ruler and father and how that impacts our lives, how that impacts the way that we pray and think and live. And so I told you last week, I was going to ask one question week after week to kind of be on your minds. And so here's the question. Does this decision build my kingdom or God's kingdom? Or or say it this way. Does the motivation behind the decision I'm about to make build my kingdom or God's kingdom? So as we dive into the text today, I just want to put that at the forefront as we read through, as it challenges the way that we pray and think and love. And so in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, I'm going to read the whole prayer to you, and then we're going, to, we're going to go ahead and jump in. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. So the phrase that we're focusing in on is hallowed be your name. That's where we're going to be camping out. That's what we're going to be thinking about. And I want to say it in a different way. His name, not mine. His name, not mine. So when I was 14 years old, as many of you know, I grew up in Macon, Georgia. And we had a downstairs level that I lived on. We had a game room, sweet room, had a movie theater on the side with lazy boy couches. Uh, And then on the other side, we had a pool table. And in between, we had like a 100, 150 gallon aquarium tank that split the room. You could see through it, super cool, you know, sea creatures, all that kind of stuff. So anyways, that was what I grew up with. So I played pool all the time. As a matter of fact, the guy who serviced the aquarium taught me how to play. And you're going, well, who cares, right? (laughs) That's what I would be thinking. Here's the thing. He played on ESPN. He was incredible. Really good. He didn't win all the tournaments or anything, but he was on TV for playing pool. And he would come week after week to service our aquarium. He'd be like, you mean teach you how to play pool? And I'm like, yeah. So he taught me English. He taught me, you know, angles, all kinds of stuff. And so I learned how to play pool pretty quickly. I got pretty good at it. And I was super cocky. So I talked trash all the time to everybody, including my older sister's friends. They were four years older than me. I had twin sisters. They had lots of friends. They would always come over and play pool. They played in the bars all the time. So they were pretty good. And so when they would come, I would obviously bet them money. Be like, hey, you want to play for some money so I could get weekend money, go hang out with my friends. You know, I'm, I'm thinking all this. So anyways, played a lot. My sister's boyfriend at the time was a guy named Wes. He was 6'4", big dude played at Mary Persons High School football team. Now, just to give you a little bit of like, it's like Oviedo High School or think Oklahoma, like college football, like Cornhusker, big dude, okay? So he would come over, hang out. He came over one night and I'm just in this mood where it's all about me and I'm just running my mouth, talking to him like, hey, you wanna play pool? He's like, leave me alone, you little scrapper, you know? And I was like, hey man, you you wanna play for some money? Like, let's go. How about 20 bucks? And he's like, you don't even have $20. I 
And I was like, say I don't. So I started pulling out money. And so we decided to bet. We bet a little higher than I normally did. He was a good pool player. He played all the time in the bars. He was solid. Any day of the week, he could beat me. But for whatever reason, I was super arrogant and cocky at the moment. And so I was like, let's do this. Let's go. I'm going to take the shirt off your back in the next game. I mean, I'm, I'm running my mouth. And I can tell he's getting agitated. So we start shooting. You know, I break. And I knock like four balls in a row. And I can tell he's already mad. Okay, so I'm like, man, this is going to be such a sweet game. And so the whole game, every shot that I made, I was just rubbing it in. Just kept, you know, just bringing it to him. And so finally, he goes, he's like, man, and he's, I can tell he's getting real frustrated. So we finish out the game. I beat him handedly. And I go, you ready for another one? And he goes, you think you're real funny, don't you? And I was like, yeah, I do. I mean, I just took your money, bro. And he's, a, so the door's right here. He acts like he's about to walk out the door. So he goes, grabs the doorknob, stops for a second. And I was like, what are you doing? I want my money. He turns around and just decks me. I mean, slap hit me in the face, right in the eye. And I wasn't, I was so unprepared. My head just literally went back. I landed on my shoulders and my head on the floor. He slapped, knocked me out. Now, here's the thing. I didn't go unconscious and I don't know why, but I, in that moment, when, after he hit me, I hit the ground. It was one of those things where I didn't even like consciously realize what happened. I literally looked at him like, did you just do that? And then I like got up and he, he, he just looked at me. I got up, ran upstairs, burst into tears. This guy's hand like covered my entire face, okay? And so I go up into my bedroom, I go in my room and I'm like boo-hoo and my mom comes in, who's super sweet, comes in and goes, what happened? And I was like, mom, Wes hit me. And she goes, I don't know what happened, but you probably deserved it. Like, I, I don't know what you did. I don't, you're, you're so, you talk so much trash, you probably deserve to get knocked. And my mom is the sweetest lady in the world, I'm telling you. So after it was all done, I had a black eye. I mean, it literally covered my, almost the side of my face. Here's the thing, I was all about me. I was all about, it's Clint's day, it's my name, it's my game, it's all about me. Now I know a lot of you are thinking, listen, nobody acts like that. Maybe you did when you were 14 and maybe I did when I was 14, but I'm an adult now. Like I don't act like that. That's super immature and childish and nobody acts like that. Here's the thing. As adults, it's not that arrogance goes away. It's not that pride goes away. It's just more subtle. It is. And here's the reality. If you struggle with it's all about your name and not his, people know it. Like you can hide it, but people know it. Like, you know the people who are all about themselves. You do. And really, this prayer, I love this. What does he do? He says, our Father in heaven. How do you pray? Is the first thing that comes out of your mouth typically, hey, God, I need this. I want this. Would you fix this? Would you do this for me? And I love in the prayer, he's so God-centric. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I want to focus on you in my prayers. I want, I want to see the bigger picture for me being on this earth in my life right now. Hallowed be your name. His name, not mine. His name, not mine. It's a challenge to us. Do you pray this often? Do you ask that the decisions you make point to him? 
hallowed be your name. His name, not mine. So another thing I want you to see in this text. He gives three things at the beginning, the first half of the text. He says, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now listen, when I prayed this prayer growing up, you know what I always thought? I always thought it was like an acclamation, like, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, let's go. Like, I I thought that's what the prayer was like. It's a third person participle. Here's the way it really works. Let it be. In other words, it's a request. So it would be like this. Let your name be hallowed. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. I'm asking that that would take place in our lives. I'm asking God when I pray this prayer, not as an exclamation point, but instead, God, would you work in such a way that your name would be hallowed, that your kingdom would come in my life, in my family's life, in the local expression of the church's life, in our community, among our friends? Would you let it be hallowed in our lives? Would you let your kingdom come in our lives? That's the picture. It's a request. Let's talk about the word hallowed. Super weird word, right? Who uses that? I, I kind of wish they would change it, but it's hard to because there's so much behind it. I'm going to define it in different ways. Treasure your name as holy. Esteemed as holy. Valued as holy revered as holy. Let your, our Father in heaven, hallow, treasure your name, treasure your character, treasure your essence, value your essence, revere you in such a way that your name would be hallowed. That's the picture. It literally means to sanctify or to set apart. It means sacred. That's, that's the idea. So what does that look like? I mean, it means you treat God differently. It means he's set in a special way compared to everything and everyone else. He's supreme. He's treated differently. So you literally, instead of your relationship saying, hey, here's how you treat God. No, no, here's God. And that's how you treat everything else. Everything else comes under that. It's crazy You let the holiness of God be known by giving him special treatment. That's the idea. And it's so different than the way we are today. Listen to this. Old Testament scribes. You know, the people who like write out manuscripts of what God said. So you got a a text or, or scripture. They would literally scribe it. They would write it out so that people could have copies. You know what they did when they wrote God's name in the Old Testament? They wouldn't put in the vowels. So let's take Yahweh. They put Y-W-H. Leave the vowels out. You know why? Because God is so holy, they didn't even write his name out. God was so revered, they wouldn't spell his entire name. And if a scribe accidentally, without thinking about it, put Yahweh with the two vowels in there, they would literally throw the pen away, take the paper, rip it, and get rid of it. And they would start over again. You know how much work that is? It's crazy. That's how much they revered God. So different than the movies we watch, the TV shows that we watch, the conversations that we have. 
It's so radically different than the comedians we laugh at. And I'm putting myself in there, okay? They revered God. They treated his name as holy. They treasured it. They didn't play around with it. That's the picture. That's how different it is. The goal of the prayer is that God's name, and not just his name, his essence, his character, who he is, that it would be set apart, that it would be sacred in our lives. Hallowed be your name. Let's dig in for a minute. Let's get practical. I'm going to do this in two different ways. What is sacred in your life? Think about that for a minute. What do you set apart? What's above the curve? What's important? I'm going to name a few. And these aren't bad things. Don't hear me saying this. These are good things. What's sacred in your life? Is it your family? Is it your sports team? Is it your politics? What's sacred in your life? What is set apart in the way that your affections go, in the way that your money flows, in the way that your thoughts go? What's sacred in your life? Is it your job? And the question then is, it's not that those things aren't important. They're incredibly important. If you don't have a job, you're in, you're in bad business. If something happens to your family, you should care, right? Politics matter. We know these things. So at what point do they get beyond and start to take the place of God? That's the question that I want to talk about. And so I'm going to ask it this way. What good thing, here's, here's a way to think about it. What good thing in your life is keeping you from making God sacred in your life? I'm going to take an easy one. If you're a sports person, Gorga, okay? If you're a sports person and you watch so much sports that it crowds out your worship of God, that thing has become more sacred than God in your life. I'm just, man, I'm always on ESPN. I'm always looking at my stuff. And instead of ever reading your Bible throughout the week or praying for others ever, you're, you're, man, you're sports fanatic. That's crowding out. That's taking the sacred place in your life. Okay? Your job, it's the same concept. Your job can get in the place of worship for God. And you cannot live out your life at your job because you care about man's approval and a paycheck more than you do about the kingdom of God. Right? Politics, same deal. Your family, the same idea. When you put your family above God, and that can come out in different ways. I'm not going to tease all that out. You have to pray and say before God, am I being honest? But it, when, when your family gets ahead of God, it starts to show in your family. And it starts to show in your heart. So those are just some questions to ask and, and to think about. I'm going to say it in a different way, okay? Just to get you keep thinking. Listen to this question. Is God treasured, esteemed, valued, and revered in these different places in your life? Hallowed be your name. Is your, in your home, is God treasured, esteemed, valued, and revered? The habits that you have, the conversations that you have, 
the things that you do, your relationship to the local church, your relationship to the community, your relationship with others as a family. Is God treasured, valued, esteemed, and revered in your home? It's one. At your job, is God treasured, esteemed, valued, and revered? Some of you are going, ah, I don't have, like, my boss isn't a Christian. My company's not Christian. Not everybody's wearing a t-shirt that says Jesus on it, okay? I, I get that. It's not about your boss or your company. It's about your integrity, your heart, your actions, your conversations, the way that you live out your life among others. Is God, are you living a life in such a way that God is treasured, valued, esteemed, and revered in your life at your job? You don't have to go around screaming Jesus, but you sure enough have to look different. You sure enough have to say, you know what? God is so much more important than whatever takes place that's in a bad way for this job. I'm gonna choose Jesus. With your friends, is God treasured, valued, esteemed, revered? Have you, do you have friends where you know you would not go out that night because of what's gonna take place? Because you know that's your struggle. <laughs> is God revered enough in your life to where it changes the actions and the motivations that happens in your friend circles? That's the picture. Hallowed be your name. Not just out there in, in the oblivion, but in my life. Hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, right? On social media, is God treasured, valued, esteemed, and revered? And it doesn't mean that you have to post a verse every day. That's not what I'm saying. It is the motivations, the actions, the conversations, the posts that you put out. Is it treasuring God? Those are, these are just practical ways for you to be thinking about. I mean, isn't that our prayer? God, that in every area of our life, hallowed be your name. That we would treasure you and esteem you and live differently. I want to read it to you again. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done as it, on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to stop there. A lot of people talk about how this, um, this passage, this, this prayer is divided. So there's three requests, right? So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Those are the first three. So these are the divine, these are the high and lofty, these are the God-centered side of things. And then it's broken up and the next three requests are all mundane on some level or more personal. They're not as up here, they're more right here. Watch this. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. So there's a split. There's three and three. And most commentators, most pastors, most people talk about how that's the split, that's the breakdown, that's the structure, however you want to call it. There's something interesting about the phrase that we have today, though. This is really cool. Hallowed be your name. Everything flows out from that. Watch this. Our Father in heaven, I'm talking to you, God. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. God, I pray that your kingdom will come so that 
Your name would be hallowed. Father, I pray that your will would be done in my life and other people's lives so that your name may be hallowed. Give us this day our daily bread so that your name may be hallowed. God, would you give me sustenance and energy in my life today so that your name may be hallowed. Forgive others as you have been forgiven, right? So that your name can be hallowed. It's all pointing to his name, to his glory. Not my name, his name. Not my company, his, right? And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil so that we don't fall into despair, so that we aren't caught up in a sin, so that we aren't crippled to where we can no longer hallow your name. Isn't that cool? It's the, it's the key phrase in this prayer. Our Father, it's all about you. And we want to hallow your name in the mundane and the divine in every area of our life. This is such a God-centric prayer, that everything about our lives would point to him, would push our others to him. It's like Matthew 5, 16. So whether you eat, I'm sorry, that's, that's 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and do what? Praise your father in heaven. It's all pointing to him. And he's saying, man, if we could pray this way, if we could live this way, if we could grasp this, how cool would it be? How many things would we see God see his kingdom come now in our lives? You know, this makes me think it's not just communal. It's not just us, as I talked about last week. It's fixed and focused on God, that he's set apart and sacred in our lives. So I want to end with this. In 1999, I think it was, I heard the first sermon from a guy named Louis Giglio. He kicked off a conference called Passion. And now, I mean, what do we have? Like 70,000 college students that gather in Atlanta in a huge Superdome praising Jesus. So he kicked off this, this conference called Passion. And I remember listening to his heart behind it. And it was Isaiah 26, 8. I'm going to read that to you. It says, yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. And he gave this illustration about a football game. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it here. Any, any UCF fans? Anybody here? Like, are any of y'all big fans? Like you've gone to the games? Anybody? What's the chant that they oftentimes do at the game? Anybody? Shout it out. It's going to be silent. I was waiting for this. Come on, anybody. What do they chant at the game? Where's Sean Geiger? He's not here. What is it? Charge on, go Knights. And then they, at the beginning of the game, kick off. What do they do? UCF Knights, right? That's the picture. And here's the thing. I've been to a game. I took my two oldest daughters to a game. And I remember sitting in there and everybody got up and everybody got real light. And they said, UCF Knights. And my daughters were like, whoa, like that was cool. And you could feel the stadium kind of bounce and move. And I was like, this is cool. Is it all going to fall apart? Like I was a little nervous, honestly, my first game there. But it was this picture of what? Of their name and their renown reverberating through the stadium. You catching that? 
UCF Knights. And you can feel it. That's the picture of what Jesus is saying when he says, hallowed be your name, that it would reverberate throughout the the earth, throughout the world, that we would see and proclaim his glory and his fame and his name. And I remember sitting in that that message and just, just going, oh my gosh, I want this to be my life. And as a matter of fact, Five or six years later, Gene and I go to 722, which is Louis Giglio's college ministry in Atlanta. And he did this whole message, same idea, that your name and your renown reverberate throughout the world. And so we get done with the message, and he says, look on the floor, and there's this envelope, and you open up the envelope, and the envelope says that you would pray that you would be used to extend his glory to the world. And that we would sit down and do that. And so Gene and I were engaged at the time. We got on our hands and knees and cried out to God and just said, God, whatever you want to do, wherever you want us to go, we will do and we will go. And we've tried, not perfectly, we've missed a ton of steps, but for our entire lives, that's been our hope, is that hallowed be your name, not ours. It's not about Clint Jean, it's not about you, it's about him. How can we use our time, our talents, our treasures, our resources, everything in our life to bring him glory? Hallowed be your name. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? Help us to hallow your name. God, will we set it apart in the things that we say, in the lives that we live? And God, would you change us forever? And so I just wanna, I wanna praise you for you are a father who is in heaven. And you have a name that is above every other name. There's no one like you, God. There's no one like you. And so would you let that penetrate our hearts and our lives and our stories and our families and this church. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.